Yes, Jero Sen, and this is another episode of Rugger Matrix International. Mark Cashman, thanks for joining us. Well, Brock, the name of the show is The Blame Game, and that's what we're talking about tonight. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of blame to go around, and after a week off, and I thought he did a pretty good job, Sean Berry filling in, two Fairfax boys. Ben Kimber, welcome back. How was your week off? A uh, bit of holidays? Wait, absolutely. Very refreshed up to the Central Coast. Fantastic. All right, I hope you're refreshed because we'll be talking about the great Bernard Foley. And uh, I think we know where that's going to head. But anyway, let's, uh, we'll cover that in a second. Uh, we just have to, straight off the top, we're recording this during the Michael Hooper uh, sighting and judiciary appearance. And unfortunately, uh, we can't hang out. We've got to record the show now. So we'll just proceed as if everything's fine and dandy. But fine and dandy, it is not for England. And uh, I'll start with you, Cash Cow. Uh, England. You know, I, I did say on Twitter I was actually disappointed to see England out so early because I would have loved them continuing through the World Cup. It keeps England you know, really behind the team as well and the competition. But uh, they, man, they were meek in the way they bowed out of the competition, I thought. I, I think in week one of our, our comeback sort of tour, I, I, I did say stuff about that... Uh, Teams need to play footy to win this World Cup, and, and England just refused to play football, really, didn't they, over those first two or three games? And that was uh, that was sort of bought out, bought out against uh, against the Wallabies. You know, when that scrum domination didn't come, a, a lot of their exiting strategies, which I noticed Rod Kafer was talking about, uh, revolved around kicking the ball and uh, you know whether it was knocking on and uh, putting the Australian scrum under pressure. When the Wallabies scrum aimed up, they just uh, they just had no plan B, and that's. Uh, that's an unfortunate part about uh, about uh, yeah, this whole tournament. Uh, the first uh, nation that hosted a tournament not to not to make through to, through, through the quarterfinals. It's a it's a damn shame. But you could probably see it coming for quite some time, really. And Ben, uh, I've got to say, it is a shame. But why did England fold as badly as they did? I don't think anyone saw it coming that they would fold that badly, mate. We we all talked in the lead up to the World Cup around the pool of death, and most of the chat was around Wales or Australia being under pressure. Everyone thought the home side in a good space, they should get through, but they absolutely fell apart. A bit of pressure there. Casho said no plan B. I didn't see a plan A. As soon as the Wallabies were actually putting a bit of heat on them, there was actually nothing there in response. Uh, one of the one of the really key points that I sort of picked up um, in the game and uh, before the game was. I saw the Fox Sports Lab guys tweet uh, stats from last year when England, of course, beat Australia. And the stats from that game, Australia had all the run of the game according to the stats. They had mm. all the metres, they had all the line breaks, they had much fewer tackles, they had all the possession, but they lost the game. So the big, big difference this time, and this time when England in that first half start, it had a bit of possession, they had plenty of ball, they had plenty of uh, territory, but the set piece, the set piece is where it started and finished in both games. Last year our scrum got pumped and we got beaten. This year, what a turnaround. What a fantastic turnaround. All of a sudden, our scrum was on top. You get that set dominance. You get that ability of front football. I know you'll talk about your friend Foley in a minute. <laughs> but the more that those guys had that set piece dominance, different game. That, that is absolutely true. But Asha, as you know, just because we had a great scrum last week does not mean we're going to have a good scrum next week. In fact, scrum to scrum, it changes so quickly. Oh, it certainly does. And I think uh, the, one of the things about this Wallaby side is they're delightfully, they're consistently inconsistent. I think Greg Groudon uh, has said on ESPN's well, great Scrum, man. the great man, Greg Groudon. Shout and, out to uh, Groudon. Yeah, the great bear. Yeah, and that's, that's very much the case, you know, like uh, who's going to turn up against Wales? We'll, we'll, we'll obviously just just uh, have to wait and see. But uh, yeah, just, just, just back on to, uh, to England, I think, uh, I think 
numerous things about the way they went about things of the Lancaster uh, regime, whether it continues, who knows, the uh, the odds are it won't, but uh, uh, you know, there, there was a certain stiffness in, uh, in, in, in the way they went about things. They were very, very, very structured. He's a school teacher, which, uh, which means he loves to have that control over, over people. And uh, it just did not work. You know, like, uh, yeah. I, I think the checker way of doing things is a lot better. You know, like it's, uh, it's more a man management thing rather than a disciplinary yeah, approach. Yeah, but that, that depends. You, know, you can't, that, the way checker coaches probably wouldn't work in New Zealand. You know, uh, where they do like to have the coach to have that authority over the team in a certain way. And, and so Dean's didn't work in the Australian environment. And having been in that back room, I can tell you exactly why the Australians approach the game differently. Maybe a little bit more lazy when it comes to playing the game. And I actually mean that in a positive way. The Australian teams have always been known for their nous and, and, and cleverness in, in destroying teams. Um, with little effort, and some of the great teams have done that. I remember Tim Horan would only ever run as fast as he had to. Um, but we're sort of digressing there. When it comes to England, though, and what they came up with in Australia, we talked about selections, and we, we defended Sam Burgess here a couple of weeks ago, or was it last week or whenever it was, about him copying the blame for the loss. Now that we saw what we did the other day, is Sam Burgess blameless or does he deserve a bit of stick about what happened well, to him? Well, it all goes back to the selection process. It's flawed on a number of levels because I think they basically got it wrong. They, they didn't pick a guy who was going to play on the ball. Stefan Armitage, European Player of the Year, was there. Uh, the, the captain, Chris, uh, Chris Roberts, uh, was, was pretty ordinary. And uh, obviously the, uh, the Pooper show, the, the Pocock mm. and Hooper uh, combination, just, uh, just absolutely played him off the park. The, the guy who was, who was going to be a real danger for England, uh, Ben Morgan, the, the big number eight, just wasn't in the game. He was unsighted for, for many, many, uh, many, many minutes. That centre combination, um, I think, though, is really part of the key that most people have been talking about which was definitely that Barrett out of position, the outside centre in that get for the previous game with, with Burgess at inside, neither of whom, of whom got the ball out wide. I mm. think in that first game against Wales, the stats were there was one pass that went through the centres to the wing and it actually was the one they dropped, hit the ground and rolled out to the winger. There wasn't actually any ball movement at all. They picked a team to play Wales. Did they have a plan A? Their plan A was how do we face the opposition? The Wallabies very clearly, under Checker, go in there to say it's not about the opposition, it's about us, it's about getting our game right. England aren't doing that. Yeah, clearly he's said that a number of times. That we're going to play this way. Win or lose, we're going to play this way. And that's what the Waratahs did. And a few times they did lose on the way through, Ben. They did. And, and I think that, that one of the connections here that seems to be the missing piece for England is there's been also a lot of talk out of England and the England journos around culture, around the way that there was an enormous focus on culture in this team, but clearly perhaps to the detriment of other things. Where Checker has, seems to have got this balance right, and we've got to be careful about over-egging the, the pudding here mm. with Checker because there's a long way to go. But where he seems to have the balance right is that focus on culture, but in tandem with the way you play and the way that you're going to approach the game and the way they get stuck in. Mm. It's, it's interesting too, the, uh, the, the England approach I, I thought was flawed. The, the Wallabies gave them the outside channels, I thought. The, the defence was very compressed and that meant that they could handle the threats that were there with, uh, with Burgess, with Barrett, uh, Joseph and, uh, and those other guys, the, the, the big ball runners in, in, in their back row. They, they sort of compressed a little bit, conceded the outside and, uh, and just sort of trusted their scramble and that, that, that worked. Whether it's going to work against 
Ireland in the in a semi-final, where it's going to work against Scotland in a quarter-final, or, or Wales on Saturday, who knows? But uh, yeah. it was an absolute masterstroke uh, on, on the night. The other thing was, I heard on the television, the, uh, the second Foley try, which was an absolutely superbly executed set move. Mm. Everyone was talking about how, um, how Stephen Larkham inspired this great move. That's a move that's been used by the Waratahs for the best part of the last well, two or three years. And, and so uh, let's thank Daryl Gibson for that one. And it brings <laughs> me to the point that Curly Beal is on the field earlier than expected. Um, what do you think about his impact? Because he actually played his hand really well, I thought. He didn't overplay his hand, which he can do sometimes. He got involved and he's, he's one of those, you know, the Hackney phrase, a mercurial player, but mm. he's got that spark and that zip. And that's a really interesting selection now with Rob Horn clearly under mm. a bit of a cloud. We're not sure what's going to go on there. That Rob Horn was the safe pick. Curtly Bill isn't the safe pick, but he gives you a lot of different things. And he certainly had one of those games where you could see that he was up for it, firing it in there. And I think that's probably another good example of him playing under a coach that he really appreciates in Checker. Yeah. Let's get on to it. Bernard Foley. Ben Kimber, you slammed him a couple of weeks. Slammed him. I mean, it's like he, he ran over your cat. Um, but uh, <laughs> I see where this is going. I see where this is going. But I didn't waste any time jumping on Twitter saying, "Bam!" That's why I backed this man when he scored his first try. And you know, he's got guts. He's got determinations. Determination. He's a ten. He plays at fullback as well if he needs to. I love him. He did a good job. Um, but I think he played. He played a really good game. And for most of it, it was him versus England on the scoreboard, which is what you want out of your ten. But Look, I was really impressed. I won't go on about it, but it was great to see. Look, I just think, for a bloke who plays above his weight every week, he played a million times above his weight again at the weekend, but I reckon he's still got more performances in him. Over to you, Ben. Yeah, look, I see where you're going with this, Bronk. Um, I can't take all the credit for getting that, for getting that result <laughs> no, out of no, Bernard. No, no, no. <laughs> um, mate, he was, he was yeah, clearly... That is clearly the best game he's ever played, uh, particularly in the Wallabies jersey. That was a fantastic game. Um, he was uh, clearly, you know, his kicking game even. I think I didn't see a part of his game that wasn't at its top. You've had, even the games he played for the Waratahs at his best, I never thought his, his tactical ticking, kicking game was a strength. It was okay, but it wasn't a strength. There was other guys that were, that were look, looked for instead. But he found the lines, he found the space in both uh, the tactical kicking and with the ball in hand. And quite some an exceptional game. Uh, a, a forward pack on the front foot made an enormous difference. And I think what I've said before was I didn't rate him as a world-class 5'8". Still not there. If he puts a couple more efforts in and gets us to the World Cup final, I'll change my tune. Mm. Ben, do you think... I can call you Ben, can't I? You can call me Ben. Yeah. <laughs> um, the studious service that he got off uh, Will Gania, I think probably helped his game because... He wasn't under pressure to hit the ball on the run time after time after time with uh, with Phipps. And we saw how uh, Phipps, he got the yips uh, when, when he came on. A, a couple of things uh, sort of went astray. Uh, having Genia, that experience there, just, uh, you know, a guy who... Uh, Whose, whose service probably isn't as quick as Nick Phipps, but uh, he knows when to give it and he knows when to hold it, so to speak. Yeah, we, we talked about uh, Genia in, in, the, in our first uh, hit out a couple of weeks ago, and I think I said at the time I thought he was the better option because he is a bit more of that certainty there. Phipps is still that little bit of an uncertain uh, factor. Genia, still not at his best, still not at the Genia that we saw a couple of years ago, but very much reliable, can read the game, can get the ball around there, good in defence. We saw him with a couple of good tackles there. Um, and Phipps is a really interesting character. It's almost like the, 
the, the construct that Czech is going for with these guys as finishers puts too much pressure on Fibs. I, feel, I think yeah. he, it looks like he misses that starting jersey and feels, I've got 10 minutes to make a difference here. Yeah. I better have a go. And those passes where he doesn't even look cost us. Yeah, it, it's a, you talk to a lot of these guys about coming off the bench, and it's one of the toughest things to do. Yeah. You're not you're not battle hardened in the game. You don't get to you know warm yourself up, get used to the contact, and then feel the flow of the game. You got to come on. The worst thing you know coaches can do. And I've seen it many times. I saw it the Waratahs line out, bringing your hooker on. So the first thing you have to do after just running up and down the sideline is hit a target, and that's the worst thing you can do. So timing is everything there uh, with the bench. But I, I agree with you. I, I still think Phipps should be starting. I just think he's got that absolute energy uh, for the side, and I'd like to see that combination with uh, Foley. You saw the combination with Foley and Beal. That, that, that was a couple of years of playing. Mm. That was a really... I know it was a move, but that was still a sort of dynamic play. And they had to um, do the job against that D. Actually, what did you think of the England D? You know, they're aggressive but a bit loose. But uh, I thought they, at times, had a Falau rattle. He wasn't so sharp at the back. Well, that's a, that was a really nice point out of the game, that Falau didn't really fire, but mm. we won the way that we won. In terms of D, I think uh, we mentioned the centres before. The other key matchup clearly was the back row, and we talked about Pooper, um, that great phrase for, for Pocock and Hooper. <laughs> But, you know, did you at any one point of the 80 minutes see anyone from England get over a ball? Um, get on a tackle and get over a ball. I can't recall once where they actually threatened to steal a ball. I was only when Sam Burgess fell down after putting that <laughs> shot on. No, no, I, 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 think, I think they were, uh, they were sort of like uh, invited to those outside channels. And uh, yeah. that was, that was when, uh, when, when things started to go well for the Wallabies because they thought, we've got some pay dirt on, uh, on the wider channels. And then... All that stuff, talking about driving through and uh, you know earning the right to uh, to push wide, just wasn't there. Push them wide, and now back row is going to get there first. Yeah. What do you think about? You know, this is not gameplay, but the theatre. We've all been at Twickenham. You've been at Twickenham, haven't you, Kasha? Certainly have. Ninety-nine actually. Uh, with a packed house, seventy odd thousand people, it is pretty intimidating place. But that atmosphere the other night was absolutely pumping, and for Australia to go out there. In the face of God save the Queen, that and whatever you think about the the words, the anthem is so powerful over there. To aim up in that pressure cooker atmosphere, Ben is uh, is something else, and do do such a great job. It is, mate. That that is, if you had to script a game that was going to be a, a hard game to get on top of mentally, that was it. Uh, I think I even tweeted at you last week and mm. before the England game and said this the England Wales game wasn't the outcome we wanted. I thought that would fire England up. Yeah. I thought England's well, I loss agree. to Wales I agree. was going to put them on fire. So we're talking about a home World Cup at Twickenham in front of a packed house, full voice, and they don't just win; they win with a record margin. Um, an amazing, amazing victory. England couldn't have had any more motivation if you handed on a plate. Oh yeah, very much so. You know, the game was there. You know, the stage was set. Everything was uh, was pretty much in their favour. They're playing at home. There's eighty odd thousand people. However, however many fit into that ground, and then uh, and then from there, they just basically cocked it up. To be perfectly honest, yeah, on a number of fronts, it's uh, as we think... said, selection, uh, execution, just just the whole mentality of that whole setup is is flawed. And they've, they've got to do a clean out. They've got to have a an outsider in there coaching this time next year. Maybe even uh, well, before. Well, I think they need, they need a coach with a game plan because their game plan uh, against the Wallabies made about as much sense as a David Campisi tweet. 
<laughs> Campo. Uh, very loosely uses the English language, uh, Campo. Um, Is that English? They can't always uh, blame uh, autocorrect. Uh, well, it's funny you should say that because the, the story doing the rounds is Eddie Jones. Yeah, won't rule out coaching England and uh, he'd been thrown around before as a candidate. Uh, what sort of force would they be under Jones? I'll tell you what, England, with his, his directness, would be a, a force again. Mate, the great rumour was Jones and Woodward together. That was doing a couple of the rounds today, I think, uh, yeah, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, that, uh, oh, that, that, oh. that was actually pushed out there by Eddie in one yeah, of the star columns. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure if that's that's the right job for Eddie at this particular time. I think he's better off doing his time with the Stormers and then, then sort of going from there. Obviously, the dollars are very good. Apparently, Lancaster was on 400,000 quid. So that's a, that's, that's a pretty sizable wedge for, uh, for somebody like that. But... Uh, yeah, I think um, I think they need some, someone. Do they need a New Zealander? Do, do they need a Wayne Smith, who was uh, someone that Lancaster actually pursued before uh, before uh, keeping it very much in club? No, I don't write Eddie off, mate. I think uh, you know he's been there before, had a long term with Saracens as well. He um, sort of knows the setup there, and uh, I could I could easily see Eddie uh, settling into a little term at uh, in England. We spoke about Eddie last time as well, and we talked about his directness and how he always does make sure he tells you what's going on. So, mm. you know, to come out straight after the Stormers' appointment and say Japan didn't have their stuff together, mm. um, and now then to say, yep, I'd be up for the job straight after taking the Stormers' yeah. job. You know, if you'd be too, I don't know if you'd be too happy in Cape Town, but he does tell it like it is. I know. He's done short appointments before, though, so, you know, um, and this stuff happens. So I think if Eddie said, no, no I'm going to England, they're not going to stop him. Yeah. They're not yeah. going to stop him. A lot of these guys have clauses written in too about if an international offer yeah. comes along, they can take it. So, um, uh, we might just move on from Australia to England, but uh, obviously Australia dominating the pool of death, just as a final... Yeah, look, I think you know the state that Wales are in with their um, with their injuries and the, and the, what they've been through to get past England. Great credit. Uh, great credit, but Australia now on the on the form guide should should win that one. If it if it's a grinding penalty fest, will be in trouble. But the way they took on England by moving the ball around, getting some space, going for the tries, made all the difference in the world. Yeah, certainly did, didn't it? Cash? Yeah, can only agree with that. You know, they've they've counted. So much um, hardship at this uh, this Rugby World Cup, and I, I I noticed there's even a ghost in the uh, in the team hotel in room thirteen thirteen. So uh, listen, they're, uh, they're they've been up against it all, all the way through. But they'll be very uh, very heroic in the in the game against the Wallabies. But they, I can see only one result there, and that's an Australian win. All right. So across the other pools, uh, Ireland um, had a tougher win at the weekend, didn't they, Ben? And uh, I didn't get to see it. I was out at a double all weekend, but um, uh, but I did stream the, the closing stages of the Wallaby match when I had to jump in the car at seven thirty uh, mm-hmm. on the on the phone. And uh, but I just missed the Ireland game. Uh, they had to have a tight one at some stage, and it ended up being Italy. Yeah. Yeah, it did. I, I did watch that one, and and it, they weren't really that impressive. It was a tough grinding game. We spoke before about games that you might need. I think that but might you, have been there. Italy were up for it. But you can't dismiss Italy though. You know? No, no you can't but still you know Ireland and the form guide if you're going to be the World Cup champion says you should have done a bit better than that. The first half in particular Italy were firing. They were doing you know a really robust approach to the game and Ireland weren't doing too well. They only went to the break uh, on top. We talked about that set piece dominance. They stole two good lineouts that gave them a bit, bit of field position and they got, they got the points on the, off the back of that. But really, they did struggle a little bit, but took the points in the end. Yeah, I mean, as we've talked about, I mean, South Africa had a calamity against uh, Japan, but that's not going to affect them going into the playoffs or the uh, elimination mm. rounds of the quarters and semis and final. 
So I, th- I think it doesn't hurt to have a game like that. Just a, it's a tough there, tough forwards team, and uh, that's probably good for Ireland at this stage. Catch yeah, I, th- I think I think all those static sort of games that this Ireland Italy game was, mm. there wasn't much great interplay or well, anything. They tell or, everyone else, or, yeah. They? You'd always back an island team to win those sort of encounters, and that, that's the way it turned out. You know, they they got their nose in front and they just grounded out and uh, did the simple things well. Just just didn't do do uh, do too much wrong or too much right uh, the way it ended up. So, well, it's not bad preparation if you can grind a game out like that yep. um, and uh, and come up with the points heading into the rounds. Uh, other parts of the draw: France, New Zealand. Thoughts, Ben? Look, everything seems to be going to script. Um, everywhere else. The, the quarterfinals are shaping up the way that we probably expected them to before the World Cup. New Zealand is catching a bit of heat about their error rate. Uh, I saw a Justin Marshall column the other day saying that he thinks they've been trying to mix up and play different styles in the early games before they start to hit the way they want to play um, further on, which, which means that you know, they're not a surprise, they're not quite getting it there. Um, you know, clearly, anyone who writes the All Blacks off is an absolute fool, mm. but it's nice to see them not quite getting it right. Uh, France as ever, I think New Zealand would be the ones who'd be trying to worry about where France might end up. Um, I still say in 2011, the better team lost the final. The luckiest World Cup win ever, those Kiwis. They need this one to bloody validate their last one, in my mind. But, but, France, were, but France weren't the best team in the rest of the World Cup, but it doesn't, it's not a, and the World Cup's not often about the best team anyway. No. So who wins that tournament? Yeah, That's but right. I totally and, agree. And, and the way that the, uh, the pools are, are falling into place, New Zealand will play France in, the, uh, in one of the quarterfinals. So that's, that's a that's a real big test, and uh, you know the, the Kiwis have been there before and uh, and fallen at that oh, at, at that, at that last hurdle. So yeah. Like yeah. <laughs> hey. Remember '99 that that New Zealand France game in '99 was absolutely outstanding. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, only topped by Australia's win, of course. Of course, that's right. Uh, sorry, Cash, are we going to throw something in? The, no, uh, just just there? just the uh, the form of Argentina. I thought was quite. Uh, oh. Quite, quite invigorating. They, uh, they, they, they played a lot of, um, a lot of footy outside the scrum, and it was, it was good to see. They uh, do that, mate. Yeah, the, the, the number ten Sanchez uh, had, a, had a very good game, and they've, they've got some real good gas on, on, on the outside there. Uh, Imanov and uh, a couple of the other guys there, and they, they went, they went very well. And I think, uh, I think their involvement in the, uh, the rugby championship has helped them considerably, and. Uh, it's the Super Rugby involvement. A lot of those players are actually going to play for the uh, Argentine uh, Super Rugby side. So, uh, yeah, they're going to keep coming on in leaps and bounds. Good to see. You mentioned the uh, the Super Rugby involvement. You can't go past Japan as well. Another good win. Mm. Dominated Samoa. Um, Samoa very ill-disciplined. But a good good gap on Samoa there. What a, what a great tournament. I think Eddie Jones said if they win three games... You know they want to be called the team of the tournament. He's not far off, oh, yeah. um, and they get they get if they get their if they get their stuff together um, for the Super Fifteen, they can only go ahead uh, as well. And uh, it's official, Casho. The Super Fifteen or Super Six? What is it going to be? Or Super Rugby? Super Rugby. Yeah. yeah so Japan has a name. The Sunwolves, I believe. Yeah. Sunwolves. Yeah. So they're uh, they're uh, they're out there actually interviewing for a CEO at the moment, and I know oh, a couple of the guys there who uh, who put oh, their hand up. Yeah. No, no, not me, but uh, a couple of the other guys out there who right. uh, so, no, put no. their hand up. Not, not at this stage. Can't no. tell you too much. You can't. You Mate, can't where's the big reveal? <laughs> well, you don't know anything. Come on. Oh, <laughs> no big reveal. <laughs> Did you ever do that? Come on, so I know this. Absolutely today. not, mate. That's a height of rudeness. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> very rude sometimes, cash cow. Uh, so, anyway, so Sun Wolves, yeah, approve.
oh, interesting. We're going to get some sort of Japanese anime um, uh, logo, oh, yeah, or yeah, you know, yeah, that'd be cool, actually. Something like that. Well, you know, we we yet to see what sort of team they come up with. Um, well, it was a bit of a worry there for a while. No one wanted to play for them. Well, there's, there were two there, and uh, obviously with uh, with the corporate involved in the Japanese rugby in their club competition, they oh, they, 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 the they were they, the they were very. Uh, very uh, reticent to release their mm. players to play Super Rugby and then come back and play in their club competition. So, uh, yeah, there's there's a few hurdles to go there, but I think uh, I think what Eddie's done for them is given them a bit of clear air yeah. in which to operate administratively to uh, get things uh, back on on the rails. But before that, it was Gonski, really, to be honest. And I think um, they have to get their shit together for yeah. this, for Super Rugby yeah. off the back of this World Cup. I don't know the TV figures. Did anyone see those numbers? 25 million, apparently, for the Samoa-Japan game. Absolutely phenomenal. The TV figures for this World Cup are the best they've ever been. I saw a report, too, there were 3 million in Germany. Germany hasn't got a team within Kui, the no, World Cup, uh, watching yeah, the World Cup. We had strong, we've always had strong numbers for this show uh, in Germany. There's yeah. a really strong rugby culture in Germany. Actually, I think I've worked this out. I think I know the German interest is coming because... Michael Checker's doing a Sergeant Schultz from Hogan Heroes impersonation. They ask him about the pools. I know nothing. They ask him about the pools or bonus points. He doesn't know anything. And it's interesting you mentioned Samar, and uh, they would have to be the disappointment of this uh, this tournament, aren't they? You know, they're highly favoured to contend for a quarterfinal spot. They haven't got within cooey of anyone, really, have they? And uh, it's... It's just I, I I don't think they're well coached. Uh, I think they have this mentality that we're we're bigger than these guys and we can run through them. Whereas uh, the the game of rugby these days is is a bit more science. You've you've got to you've got to pull defences apart, then slice your way through them or run around them, and that that's what Samoa haven't done. Well, if you if you think if you're the Samoan coach and you see Japan take apart well not take apart but beat South Africa and then you still think you're going to run around them, then you've got to have a real rethink of where your your attitude is. Absolutely. And uh, maybe Argentina should join the NRC cash cow. Well, it, uh, that, that could be the case. But, fair bit uh, of travel. Fair, fair bit of travel, but uh, I wouldn't mind getting on that trip to Argentina <laughs> for, that, for that away game. Uh, so. I was just about to open the door to you to talk about the NRC, but before, just quickly, uh, 30 seconds each on this. Sam Burgess, has he got a career in rugby or will he look to get out of it after the World Cup? First cash cow. Well, I, I, I think he has a, uh, a career path in rugby. I don't think it's in the centres, though. I think uh, Bath have made the correct call. I think he's going to be highly more effective uh, playing at number six or a number eight. I think he'd be a, a good ball runner there, do as much running in the middle of the field and not have that, uh, that positional uh, responsibilities that you have at, at 12 or 13. Uh, there is a career path there, but he's, uh, he's got a bit of homework to do, that's for sure. Mate, he's an exceptional footballer. There is a career path there if he wants it. He's had he had five tests coming in here, mm. um, and there was talk in one of the t- one of those five tests of how Barrett was in his ear telling him what to do. I mean, it was just too soon. It was a bad selection because it was too soon. If you're going to put him in the side, you don't put him at twelve, where it's going to be a bit of a fulcrum for your backline move, uh, and defensively such an important role. He'll, he'll get there if he wants to stay. And uh, it's a bit different to the guys who came here for Australia, like Lottie Takiri, Matt Rogers. Lottie Takiri started in 03 for the Waratahs, played in the World Cup final, takes the first kick from Stephen Larkham, scores a try, but he's a winger. The winger transition is so much easier. When yeah. you're in the, closer to the engine room, it's a different ball game. And you saw when Matt Rogers came back to rugby or came across to rugby, how many times did he get turned over? 
when he first started. It was every tackle. Yeah, and if you didn't read that that column by Gordon Darcy in the Irish Times, which we tweeted yes. back and forth, you, you get in there and read it. Great to see a player uh, dissect really what was going on with Burgess. Had to give it to him. Yeah, he did. Gordon Darcy, absolutely, he's been on the show before, actually. A great fella. Um, just gave it to um, Burgess, and she's of course some commotion, but you know he backed it up. Yeah, yeah good job. It was, it was a great analysis. Uh, quickly, Cash Cow, the NRC, the National Rugby Championship in Australia. What's happening? Big top of the table uh, game this week. Uh, the University of Canberra Vikings are taking on Brisbane City this week. But uh, the one that everybody wants yeah, to get... No one cares about that. No, they don't. <laughs> the one that everybody wants to get to is at Rat Park on Saturday. Uh, at 3 o'clock. No, it's oh, uh, it's on. it's called Super Saturday, boys, and uh, oh, we've yeah yeah we've got uh, we've got school games, we've got uh, varying other bits and pieces happening, including a special sevens challenge between the Manly Warringah North and Gordon clubs, but the players have to be over to one hundred kilos to qualify to play. So <laughs> it's big boys seven. So uh, get there at two forty just in time for the uh, just in time for the big boys sevens game. So uh, plenty uh, plenty happening. There'll be uh, lots of waddling and uh, lots of big hits and uh, maybe a few tries. Uh, after that, there's a gourmet barbecue and uh, yeah. a live band yeah, afterwards. Yeah. So uh, well, what else well, could you well, want? Well, I think one of our favourite listeners, Greg Groudon, is a big fan of the Rat Park barbecue. Oh, yeah. Particularly when it's gourmet. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. He should be a reviewer of food everywhere. He's, uh, he... <laughs> I, think he's... That's, I, think, I think that's what he's doing. So uh, I, I, do, I, do, <laughs> yeah. I do believe that a lot of the guys who have gone there from, um, from Australia, the guys actually covering it, they're, they're struggling with their weight at the moment. I think it's yeah. the... Uh, it's the late night curry and chips, mate. It's the workload, and as you yeah. say, it's the late night curry and chips. <laughs> All right, Kesho, thanks for coming in. Not a worry, Bronk. All right, and Ben Kimber, good to see you back, mate. Absolute pleasure. Go, Bernard, Bernard Foley. All right, that's the end of the show. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next week uh, when we head into the uh, elimination rounds of the World Cup. You've been listening to Rugger Matrix International, episode 207, The Blame Game, with Juro Sen, Mark Cashman and Ben Kimber.